that to be true, what we just sang, <clears throat> there's nothing that can come to us in 2012 that God will not enable us to handle. Amen. There's no mountaintop experience that He won't be celebrating with us. There's no valley experience that He won't be walking through it with us. He is good, and He does love us. And what a great way to start the years to remind ourselves how true that is. Well, I'm sure a lot of you feel like I do today. I can't believe it's the year 2012. I mean, what happened to 2010, let alone 2011? And now we're in 2012? Amazing how quickly time is passing by. But today is January 1st, 2012. And we have a brand new year in front of us that starts today. Now, with a brand new year comes a brand new start. You know, there's just something so refreshing about the new year. It's a time to begin again. It's a time for a do-over. It's a time to start it all fresh and anew. We can put the events of 2011 behind us and look forward with hope and expectation and purpose through a new year. Many of us will set New Year's resolutions. Many of us have set New Year's resolutions in the past. Me, I'm going for my standard New Year's resolution. I'm going to lose weight again this year. <laughs> now, I know you laugh because you've heard me say that before. And, and, and so you, therefore, are eligible to laugh at that statement. But, you know, as with so many of us who set New Year's resolutions, because... There's some place we want to go, or we see something in ourselves that we want to change. And we've set New Year's resolutions before, and we, we've, we've kind of launched out after them, and <clears throat> sometimes we do better than others, and we go longer than other times, but more often than not, we tend to fail in them. And certainly, as we have more and more of those experiences, we find ourselves not even want to set resolutions anymore. But let me challenge you with this thought. It is far worse to have tried and failed than never try at all. Right? And what can happen is, because we allow our failures to be our focal point, we stop trying. And when we stop trying, we can be sure that the places we want to go are never going to come to fruition. The things that we want to change about ourselves will never change. And so I start a new year with a new resolution with absolute hope and expectation that I'll follow it through. And it gives me another chance. Well, there's a lot of areas that might be coming to your mind right now to where you, would, you want to start new. You want a brand new start. You want a do-over. You want to try it again. But as we look at those areas, this morning let us focus on one very important area that we can all do better at, and that is our spiritual walk, our spiritual journey. Let's set some new boundaries. Let's set some new benchmarks. And today I want to use God's Word to, to inspire us, to motivate us to do that. There's a wonderful passage in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. If you have your Bible, I'm going to encourage you to open your Bible to that passage this morning, just so you can make notes in it. 
This is a very encouraging passage. I read it frequently. I've used it frequently. I've taught it frequently. It's just a really exciting passage. Let's read it together. And then what we're going to do is just kind of dissect it this morning as we launch into a brand new year with a brand new start. Beginning in verse 1, Hebrews 12, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, again, what I want to do this morning, as we launch into a brand new year, as we kind of come to the place where we're saying we're going to try again, we're not going to stop trying, we're not going to give up, this verse has a lot of practical advice for us. First it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now it says since, and then it's going to say then do this. So before we can do what it says to do, we have to understand who these witnesses are, don't we? Now, whenever you're studying your Bible or reading your Bible, and you come to a place where it says, therefore, or however, or but, or something like that, you know you have to go back forward and find out what has just been covered. Since it says, therefore, we need to know what the therefore is all about. So we would go back to chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews. Chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews is a very familiar and a very popular uh, passage in the scripture. In fact, we call it God's Hall of Fame. Sometimes we call it God's Hall of Faith. Chapter 11 is full of the names of great saints of God who had performed wonderful, amazing, sometimes miraculous things for God. Like people like Moses and people like Noah and people like Abraham and David and, and all these great biblical characters. Now, in the context of this passage, when it says, since we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, that's the witnesses it's immediately talking about. So what does that mean? Does that mean that Moses and Noah and David and Samuel and, and Abraham, they're all looking over the balcony of heaven every day, seeing how we're doing? I don't think so. I don't think they're conscious of what we're doing here. But here is what God has inspired the author of Hebrews to communicate to you and me. Although these great saints who are listed in God's Hall of Fame did amazing things for God, we are reminded that they're really just men and women like you and me. I mean, take Abel. Abel, we don't even think, got to live very long of life. He was murdered by his brother Cain. And yet he makes the Hall of Fame because he offered an offering to God that was accepted by God. And then we look and we see a guy like Moses. And Moses, you know, we know, led the children through the wilderness, but, you know, Moses had a temper problem. In fact, it was his temper problem that caused him to strike the rock the second time in the wilderness, and that prohibited him from ever seeing the promised land. We look at a great guy like Abraham, who's the patriarch of, of the Jewish nation, God's chosen people. And yet, when we look at the life of Abraham, he was a liar. Twice he lied to monarchs, telling them that his wife Sarah was actually his sister. And she was a very beautiful woman, so these monarchs wanted the, her as their wife, and some of them took her into their household, and God brought plagues down on them, only to expose Abraham's lies. Then you take a guy like David, who's an adulterer and a murderer, 
Then there's a woman in that hall of fame by the name of Rahab. She was a prostitute. See, here's what the Bible is affirming. And here's what the Bible is trying to encourage with. We are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses who ran a race for God victoriously, but who were no different than you and me. And what it's saying is that if a murderer and an adulterer and a liar and a prostitute could do great things for God, so can I, so can you. See, we we tend to elevate these people to almost mythological proportions, but the truth of the matter is they were normal human beings like you and me who had the same weaknesses, the same foibles, the the same problems, the same challenges that every human being has had in every generation. The difference is they ran their race and they allowed God to make them victorious, so victorious that they were placed in God's Hall of Fame, Hebrews 11. So who are these witnesses? Well, contextually, it's all those who have gone before us and who have successfully used their lives for the glory of God. People just like us. And that gives us hope that we too, in our weaknesses, in our challenges, can do great things for God. If you'll allow me a little liberty, I think that circle of witnesses can be expanded. Because there's also a great cloud of witnesses around us right now who are watching how we live our life for Christ. Not what we're saying about Christ, not our church attendance, not our moments of praise when we raise our hands and we just glorify God. They're looking at our everyday life. And they're looking to see if what we profess with our mouth is actually true in our lives. And these witnesses are not looking, at least not all of them, just so they can pick out and point out our failures as Christians. But more often than not, they are looking to us because they're looking for a light. They're looking for a source of truth in a culture that denies that truth can be known anymore. They're looking for hope. They're looking for light. They're looking for guidance. And so there's a cloud of witnesses surrounding us today who need us to live an honest, pure life for Jesus Christ. And I think of another cloud of witnesses who are future potential witnesses, who when we all stand in judgment, may give testimony that we never cared about them, that we never loved them, that we never reached out to them. People who will be surprised to discover on judgment day that that we are the children of God, that we have trusted Christ, and that we, through our relationship with Jesus Christ, are given access to the eternal kingdom of God. This is one that I'm personally struggling more and more with as I contemplate that cloud of witnesses who one day might be able to say, why didn't you tell me? You knew this was coming. You knew this was going to happen. Why didn't you tell me? I worked with you every day. You were my neighbor. 
You were my friend. And yet you never shared Jesus. We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Those who with their lives have proved that we can be victorious in Christ. Those who surround us today who are counting on us to be true to Jesus Christ. And those who one day might even provide witness that we never reached out to them. Now with that in mind, let me jump around a little bit. The author goes on to say, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Now, all that stuff we just talked about, those witnesses can really pull us down. And I can even see some of you right now are being pulled down. Because you're feeling like I do. You're feeling, oh man. But that's not the purpose of today's message to tear you down. Today's message is to build you up. So we've got to understand that we're not living life alone. We're not living life in isolation. That there's a cloud of witnesses, past, present, and future. But here's what we really need to understand. Is that we're not mistakes. Listen to me. You're not a mistake. You are not some kind of a mutant human being. You are not a failure. You have been divinely engineered by God. As we've taught many times here, it starts in our mom's womb when God weaves our personality together. And when God weaves our natural talents and abilities together. But understand this. You are designed by God to serve a specific purpose in this life. God has orchestrated and engineered a race for you to run personally. It's your race. It's not your husband's race. It's not your wife's race. It's not your mom or your dad's or your grandma's or your grandpa's or your best friend, your boyfriend, your girlfriend. It's your race that God has engineered especially and particularly for you to run. And He has engineered you to successfully run it. He has given you every personality trait, every natural skill. And those of you who have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, He has given you divine, spiritually empowered gifts to run your race. But the problem is, so many of us aren't running our race. So many of us aren't running any race. And so many of us who are trying to run a race are trying to run somebody else's race because it looks more attractive than our race. And we look and say, oh, look at their race. I want to run their race. Oh, I want to be like them. I want to do the things they do. You can't. You aren't engineered to be them. And they aren't engineered to be you. But God has engineered you for a specific purpose and to run a specific race. And he's given you everything that you need to be successful. Just like he gave Noah, everything Noah needed to be successful. He gave Moses everything Moses needed to be successful. He gave Abraham everything Abraham needed to be successful. He's given you everything you need to be successful. I wonder, are you running your race? How do I know what my race is? The Holy Spirit of God reveals it to us. He reveals it to us 
directly and putting a passion in our life for something. And it's something that we are naturally equipped to do and spiritually gifted to be victorious in. You know what your race is. You might have forgot it, but God put a dream in you at some time. God put a passion in you at some place at some time. And maybe you've allowed somebody else to squeeze that dream out. You've allowed circumstances to discourage you from run the race. And so, the Bible tells us to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. What's keeping you from running your race for God this morning? What is it that's hindering your race? Maybe it's a relationship. And that relationship is holding you back. And that relationship has rechanneled your focal point and rechanneled your life efforts off of your race. Maybe it's life circumstances. And in these very difficult economic times that we're living in today, maybe those times have so consumed your thoughts and have generated a spirit of fear in you and insecurity in you so great that you have forgotten that you have been divinely engineered by God to serve a divine purpose with your life. What's holding you back? Maybe you've got your, 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 your life so cluttered with so many things that there's not room to run the race. The Bible identifies one of the chief detractors of our race, and that is sin. Maybe you're struggling with some besetting sin, with some sin that has such a hold on you, with some, some compulsive behavior that just drives your thinking and drives your behavior, and it is beating you down. And it's beating you down so much you feel like a mutant. You don't feel divinely engineered anymore. Well, look to the person to your right. He or she struggles with sin. Look to the person to your left. He or she struggles with sin. If you look behind you or look in front of you, every single person here struggles with sin. And every one of us here are especially vulnerable to some sin stimulus. And because we're vulnerable to that, we have yielded to that temptation over and over again. And every time we yield to that temptation, what happens is we've given Satan more ammunition in our life. Because now he knows where we're weak. And what do you think Satan does with that knowledge? He bombards us with it. And so many of us have allowed him to so successfully bombard us and fill us with shame and fill us with guilt that we have forgotten that we are divinely engineered. We have forgotten that that cloud of witnesses who lived before us committed the same sins and in society's eyes committed worse sins than some of us have ever committed. And yet God used them for His glory and for the advancement of the kingdom of God. You've allowed Satan to knock you out of the race. 
You've forgotten that the Bible promises in John, 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. I wonder, have you got knocked out of the race this morning? Well, then the Bible says this, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. See, you need a new stimulus. Your race isn't over yet. I'm going to step on some toes here for a second. But somewhere in our heads, we get this idea that at some point in life, we retire from life. I have never found one passage of Scripture in the Bible where people have retired from the spiritual race. I find many passages that encourage us to work till Jesus comes, that when the Master, when He comes back, if He finds you faithfully at work and running the race, He's going to reward you and you'll be blessed. But I never see retirement. Now, I'm not talking about retirement for your jobs. Retire from your jobs. I'm talking about retired from the race. And sometimes when we retire from our jobs, we retire from the race. And then we wonder why our life is so empty and so fruitless and so joyless. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. I know you wouldn't believe this of me right now. But there was a time when I was a pretty good athlete. I really was. I was really fast. I was a fast runner. In fact, at one point in my life, I won the most valuable performer for the entire Mahoning County that I grew up in, in track. I remember the day that, that I won that award. I was running three events. The first was the 100-yard dash. The second was the 220-yard dash. And the third one was the long jump. Now, coming into the track meet, I had been beat in all three of those events by somebody else who was in the track meet. And I remember the first event was the 100-yard dash. And I thought, well, you know, maybe I'll get second, maybe I'll get third, because this guy beat me in the 100-yard dash. He's really, really fast. But I had a motivation that day that was unlike any other day that I ran. That day was the only day in my track career that my mother came to the track meet. And she had kind of positioned herself down around the finish line. And I remember getting in my starting blocks. And I remember the guy right next to me is the guy who beat me. And I remember getting ready to go. And that gun going off. And I just exploded out of those starting blocks. And started running as fast as I could, as hard as I could. Down that lane. But you know, the real motivation was my mom at the other end. I wanted to make my mom proud. I want to let my mom see her son win and succeed. And so I wasn't racing against the guy next to me. 
I was running to my mom. That was my focal point. I wanted to win and I won the event to my amazement. Then I ran the 220 yard dash. Two guys had beat me. But this time, I'd already crossed the finish line. And I knew my mom was at the finish line. And when that gun went off, I found energy and power in me and reserves in me I never thought I had. And I took off. And I broke the ribbon with my chest. And I was victorious. Because my mom was at the other end of the race. Oh, listen. Jesus is at the other end of your race. He's at the finish line. And he's, he's calling you every day. Come on, don't give up. Don't quit. Come on, run, 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 run. Run with perseverance the race I engineered you to run. Run with perseverance the race I made you victorious to win. Come on, keep running. Don't give up. Oh, he loves you. And he wants you to win. And this morning he's saying, get your eyes off of those negative voices in your life. He's saying, get your eyes off the negative circumstances. Get your eyes off the failures of the past. Get your eyes off the successes of the past. Don't rely on them. The race is still being run. And God has given you everything that you need to win it. He's the author of your race. He created a race just for you that he knew you alone had just the right abilities to win. And it says he's the perfecter of that race. Because he's at the finish line. Because he has given us everything that we need to run the race. We can know that when we break that tape of heaven's threshold, that at the other end is a smiling, omnipotent, omniscient, loving, merciful, benevolent, generous, gracious Savior who died on the cross so that we could be victorious. Run your race. Don't give up. Crowd out everything that's telling you to quit. Fix your eyes on Jesus today. He's at the finish line. Let's bow our heads. Oh, get back in the race. Get back on the track. There's a beautiful little course that was written that I love to sing in my own office sometimes, in my own car as I'm driving. I've sung it to you before. It goes like this. Don't give up. Someone really loves you. Don't give up. Someone really cares. Don't give up. Someone really loves you, and that someone is the Lord. Ah. Right now, feel His love. Right now, as you confess 
your failures, feel His forgiveness. Right now, as you surrender the challenges in your life, feel His peace. Right now, just give it to Him. Father, as that old song used to say, Lord, I need a brand new touch. My strength from yesterday is gone. Lord, the race that you have engineered us to run is not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's an obstacle course. But God, renew in us today a confidence that you have already engineered us to win the race. God, help us to get our eyes off of other people's races. Help us not to be envious of their race. Help us not to be distracted by their race. God, reveal in us again, in our hearts, in our minds, in our circumstances, in our opportunities, remind us of the race that you have engineered for us to win. Lord, I pray for protection over these wonderful men and women here today. And Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Savior, I rebuke Satan and his attacks upon their life to discourage them and knock them out of the race. God, love them. Fill them with new hope right now. Fill them with the peace of your presence. And God, give them excitement. Let them see you at the end of the finish line. God, help me and help them. Help us to fix our eyes on you and run into your open arms. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. Today, we're going to observe communion. And as our deacons and ushers come, we'll receive the wafer and the the cup and let's hold them until all have received and we'll partake of the communion together but let us receive communion today as an affirmation of God's love for us for these elements aren't just part of a ceremony they are the symbols of the greatest act of love that has ever been ever been given to mankind they represent God sacrificing his own son for our sins so that our sins are not eternal weights and so that our sins are not temporal weights during this life but that we can know that they've been forgiven and we've been given the gift of eternal life now normally on a New Year's Day that falls on a Sunday, the people who will come to church are already believers. The unbelieving crowd normally won't get up and come to church on occasion as this, but I never want to assume that to be true. Maybe you're here today and you've come with a family member that you're visiting with over the holidays or or you, you've come with a neighbor, or maybe, maybe a coworker, or maybe you came today just because 
it's a brand new year and you want to start the year off in the right direction. But the truth of the matter is, although you're a good man or you're a good woman, you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. And you're still living under the hope or the delusion that somehow you're going to live a good enough life to make it to heaven. Well, I'm sure you're a really good person. You're probably better than I am. But the Bible says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What that means is no matter how good we are, none of us are good enough. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. Because we fall short of the glory of God, our eternal destiny is eternal separation from God, eternal punishment. Because we're paying for our sin. But that verse goes on to say, the wages of sin is death, but, and this is a really big conjunction right here, but the gift of God, hear it again, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God has purchased at great price the blood of His Son, a gift for every man and every woman. It's a gift that He wants to give. It's a gift that He gives out of love. Not in response to our behavior, not in response to our denomination affiliation, but just in response to His goodness. Jesus talked about it. Jesus is the gift. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's only one way I can go to heaven. There's only one way you can go to heaven. And that's through faith in the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And if you're counting on getting to heaven any other way, my friend, I lovingly say to you, you are on the wrong road. You are on a very dangerous eternal course. And God has brought you here today to give you the chance to receive that gift. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, won't you do it right now? Just where you're seated. It's a gift, but you have to receive the gift. And you receive it through just an act of faith. In a prayer that goes something like this, God, I want your forgiveness I acknowledge, I confess, God, that I need your forgiveness. I know I'm not perfect, and I know I don't deserve heaven. God, I get it. That's why you sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross. Jesus died as a sacrifice for my sin. That's why he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so, God, as best as I understand what this pastor is saying this morning, today I trust Jesus Christ as my Savior. Jesus, be my Savior. Pay my penalty with the sacrifice that you gave on the cross. Jesus, today, I believe on your name and your name alone for eternal forgiveness of my sin and for the promise of eternal life with God the Father. Today, I believe on the name of the Son of God for eternal life. Now, the Bible says that to any man or any woman who would humble himself or herself in that manner and in faith believe in Jesus Christ the Bible says in 1 John 5.13 these things I write unto you who believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life look up at me again all that came at a great price all it took for us to receive the gift is a simple prayer of faith but it cost God 
His very Son's death on the cross. And so Jesus left us with this beautiful ceremony, not to remember the horror of His death, but to remember the extent of His love. For on the night Jesus was betrayed, He took bread, and after giving thanks, He broke it. And He passed it to His disciples. He said, This is My body which is broken for you. As often as you receive this, do this in remembrance of Me. After the same manner, Jesus took the cup. And He passed it to His disciples, saying, This cup is the new covenant in My blood. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of Me. Then the Apostle Paul reminds us in his letter to the Corinthians, for as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we do show the Lord's death until He comes again. This morning, receive new hope. God loves you so much. And God's not done with you yet. And you'll know when you're done, because all of a sudden, everything will change And you'll be running into the arms of Jesus at the winning line. Run the race. Run your race.